In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... I really want to lose three pounds. Yeah, no, don't put me down for cardio. Diet starts tomorrow. Exercise gives you endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. I want to quit the gym. Happy people just don't shoot their husbands. With hosts Aileen Cooperman... Joey doesn't share food! ...and Sammy Fishbein. Whatever, I'm getting cheese fries. Hello and welcome to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm Sammy. I'm Aileen. And with everything that's been going on in the world this week, we wanted to use our platform today to have an uncomfortable but very important discussion. We wanted to discuss white privilege in the wellness and fitness industry, something you've heard us touch on before in past conversations, but have never quite delved into to the full extent. Our right. guest today is someone who is very special to us, Dana Samuel, who works at Betches as our community manager and has been vocal in wanting to have an op- open conversation with us about this for this episode. We wanted to hear her firsthand experiences and give her the space to have a discussion about race in the wellness industry. Welcome, Dana. Hi. Thanks for Hi. having me. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> Um, so we were thinking in the beginning of the episode, maybe just first introduce yourself. Who are you? Tell us h- how you how you came to Betches, <laughs> and just give it give everyone your background. Yeah. Uh, so again, my name's Dana. I'm the community manager. I also run the Wentz Happy Hour account. Um, came to Betches. A friend introduced me to the company <laughs> when we were in college, and. I checked every single week for new positions and applied as soon as I saw a community manager, obviously killed the interview, and here I am. <laughs> I remember but you that, did. <laughs> yeah. Thank You're you. Like, Let's, she, she's the one. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, I've been with Betches for a year. My general background, quick life story, I am a biracial woman, half black, half Puerto Rican. Um, I grew up in predominantly white situations though i live in a general area where there's a high population of jewish people i went to summer camp at the jewish community center my high school i went to private catholic high school so very um commonly predominantly white areas and i feel like that's sort of in respect to all that's going on i have a lot of white friends because of those situations growing up and it's just sort of really brought to my attention how, you know, people who aren't in the black community are reacting to all that's going on, what they're doing on and off social media, how they're handling just with either with me or with other of or with their other black friends or, you know, family or what have you, how they're handling, you know, checking in on those people, making sure that they're able to do something meaningful to help the cause. So just before we get into the wellness piece of the conversation, um, since you are passionate about wellness, um, we just wanted to, how are you feeling in general um, at this time? Very tired and, and not just like, a, oh, I've been doing stuff all day. Now I'm tired type of way. It's something 
in a way I've never really experienced before. I think that I've been fortunate enough not to say that, you know, this is a bad thing if people experience it or that I haven't had periods of extreme sadness before, but I don't think that I've ever really suffered from, you know, depression on a, a deep level, but I, I imagine that some of the things that I'm feeling are connected to that. It's just like constantly feeling fatigued and unmotivated. And even though, even with work day to day, I obviously am, you know, doing all that I can. You can, can tell us if you're too tired to work. We don't, no. we, we don't care. It's like really fun. <laughs> I, n- not, you don't have not, to like tiptoe around that element. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> not yet. Not yet. I, I, I know that I could, I could tell you if that was the case, but I'm not at that point, but definitely unmotivated in the sense of even working with, you know, editorial, they've asked me if I would wanted to write certain things. I'm like, I, I am, I just feel like it would take me a full day to even write a short article. And that's something that's very unlike me. I'm, I'm very fast at typing in general and coming up with ideas, you know, well-written things, but just feeling very, very challenged in doing everyday things in regard to that. And then having to this sort of internal battle of staying informed, which obviously I want to do and obviously I've been doing, but it's, it's hard seeing the same things over and over and over, seeing all these, you know, all these protests have gone left because of interference or people who are taking things out of context or just seeing all these devastating videos of, you know, black people getting hurt or abused or whatever the case might be, or people exploiting the bad things that are happening amongst the black community and making jokes out of it or making stupid internet challenges out of it. And it's, it's just hard to, to keep exposing myself to that every day. But I know it's something that I have to do in a sense because I can't, I can't rely on others to like keep me, keep me knowledgeable in the way that I, I, I need to be for myself. Yeah, that, that definitely, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It sounds really, it sounds really challenging and I can't even begin to fathom it. Yeah. I te- yeah. I text you that. I'm like, I'm not going to pretend like I know yeah. <laughs> what the fuck this feels like, but I'm with you, you know? It just yeah. fucking sucks. It sucks. But at least this conversation is happening on a really big level, you know? And right. at least we're being forced to talk about it. And like we said, this is uncomfortable for a lot of people, but we're forcing ourselves to do it. And yeah, thank you so much for being here and sharing despite being exhausted. This is a heavy time. Yeah, of course. I think it's it's more beneficial in the long run, even if just... Not to be like, oh, if just one person could connect with me, but but (laughs) seriously, if even just a couple people who I know that sometimes it just being mixed, it it sort of feels different in a way than it may feel even just speaking to some of my friends who are completely black. It, you know, hits us differently. It might affect us differently. So even if I can sort of provide a unique perspective in that stance, definitely. Well, just... I don't want to kind of derail the conversation, but since you you did bring that up, um, I know that you and Kay spoke about that on at Betches yesterday, and I know that that was something that Kay had posted about on her Instagram story. This feeling of like almost like a little bit of like a limbo, like you know, 
it's, you know, you're not good enough for any, for any group. How do you think that reality sort of factors into your experience of racism or of privilege or, you know, whatever you've experienced? I think, um, in the sense of racism, it, it, it really is sort of case by case, but, um, I would say that I've been treated better than some of my friends or even family who are darker skinned than I am. And I know that's something that is emphasized in, you know, the media or, or that that's a problem or that's something that happens. And I can 100% advocate for that, even whether it's in regard to, you know, treatment in a store or with boys or whatever the case might be. I think that because I'm light skin that I've definitely received better treatment throughout my life than other people have. But in the same turn, especially during the summer, because my skin eats up the sun and I get very, very, very tan in the summer. So during those times, that's actually when I experienced my first real account with someone like being outwardly racist and saying that they didn't want me to be near them or touch them because my skin is dirty because it was so dark. So that during those times is definitely when I experience it more, but that's not to say that, you know, it's, it's never happened in the winter when my, when my tin fades or whatever, but it's really sort of case by case. Were you, how were young were you? When did that happen? Ooh, I was mm, maybe nine, maybe nine. I can't really remember. I, I know it was at summer camp and it was, uh, I, I can tell you the whole story it, quickly. I was at summer camp with my friend who was white. We were in one of the older bunks and we were playing with this girl who was in one of the younger bunks. And we had been, I, I don't know, like, you, you know, you pick up kid by the armpits and like spin him around. We were doing stuff like that with her. And she had been doing it with my friend who was white. And she's like, okay, my arms are tired, but let Dana do it now. And the girl's like, no, I don't want her to touch me. And my friend said, well, what, why not? She's she's strong enough. She can, she can pick you up. She's like, no, she's dirty. I don't want her to touch me. Her skin's dirty. And I, I didn't even realize that because at that point, obviously I'd been, you know, taught here and there from my family or even just in school about that, about racism, but it had never really been so blunt in my face before and I just started crying I couldn't even process what I was feeling about it I just knew it was wrong it was crying and it was this whole big thing at the camp everyone like shit hit the fan everyone (laughs) went crazy at the camp but which was which was good thinking back how they how they responded to it and how they treated it and so on but yeah that was my first experience with that and that's something that has absolutely changed just how I even go through day-to-day life. I'm sure that stays with you. Yeah. I think what's so kind of what is that within your own personal experience, you have seen like the full spectrum of treatment, it sounds like, which is, must be so confusing. Um, And, and it kind of, kind of proves the racism to you because right. like even within your own experience I, I feel like I have and I've been fortunate to this point and hopefully 
you know, for the rest of my life to not have been one of those black people who is going through, you know, the terrible things that we're seeing happening in regard to being killed for no reason, being killed for simply like being black. And hopefully, you know, as I said, that's something that I can say until the end of my life, but not that's obviously I'm still being exposed to it. I see it. I see how it can affect different families and I see how it affects the community and the world and just how people act and are treated. So my experience combined with just seeing all this other stuff is definitely eye-opening, if nothing else. Warmer weather is finally back. After so many cold months, it's nice to get outside and soak up the sun. But the springtime always brings those unwanted guests, pollen and seasonal allergies. April showers bring spring flowers and sniffly noses and stuffed up sinuses. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. I suffer from seasonal allergies. I just had them hit the other day. I couldn't breathe through my nose at all. And I popped a Claritin and it was like night and day. I'm a huge fan of Claritin. I use it on the regular and it always helps when we're making that transition from winter to spring, which is when my allergies flare up. Mainly it's my sinuses that get so clogged and the Claritin just clears it right up. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy throat and nose, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Ready to live your life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. So Sammy earlier said, and obviously we know, you love uh, fitness. You love the topic of wellness. Um, What's your background in that? How did you become into it? This, yeah, actually, it's it's been kind of up and down for the latter years of my life. When I was younger, I did gymnastics, I did cheerleading, I played basketball for a hot second, and I mean a hot second, like <laughs> for a couple months. Um, but I was always really active. You know, I went to summer camps. So I was running around all day during the summer. So I did that until. I think from maybe the fourth grade until I was a senior in high school. And then in college, I, it sort of wasn't our priority, granted, because that was, it was a big shift just in lifestyle as a whole, just being yeah. in that experience and trying to... No one's priority. <laughs> no one's priority in college. <laughs> right. So just trying to find my footing there and that health and fitness in regard to just working out was sort of put on the back burner for me. I felt like because my school was so big, I was like, okay, I'm walking around all day. That must do something. And it does, but definitely not the level that I would have liked to be at. Then I'll say as, as the years went on, sophomore, junior, senior year, I tried to be more proactive about that. So I became a tour guide. I was walking around for two hours every day on top of just, yeah, it was a lot. (laughs) on top of just general foot traffic throughout the day. Um, My best friend was 
a spin instructor. So I started taking her classes. I was taking the, you know, other Zumba hit classes, whatever, and just trying to go to the gym when I could. But then my second semester senior year and then years up until I'd say honestly last year, I really did not prioritize health at all. I was just subconsciously now that I'm thinking back just subconsciously in a funk of you know insecurity and just not really loving what was going on with my body and that's not to say like I'm just in general I've always been this way I'm very tall and fairly slim so not in like a I hate my body I hate myself type of way but just I don't know I, I just wasn't I wasn't prioritizing my health. I was eating crap. I was eating a lot of fast food, a lot of sugar. Hated that. Just not even for trying them. You can say you hated vegetables. (laughs) But it's not even like I tried them to know that I hated them. It was just like in my head. Oh, no. We only like corn. That's it. (laughs) So... Corn's good. That was, a, that was a, yeah, it's my favorite. Especially like <laughs> off the cob with the cotton. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some butter. <laughs> well, that's too good. Um, but I would say up until last year when I kept complaining about, I was complaining to my boyfriend actually about wanting to be, I want to start working out. I want to not, not even for trying to look a certain way just to feel better about myself and just in general I would I would get a lot of random pains and just be tired all the time it's like well you should do it do it don't just say you want to do it like I'll, mm-hmm. I'll you know I'll help you I'll send you <laughs> workouts or something if you want I don't know but don't tell me you you have to do it and so, does he work out a lot does he-, he yeah he's very <laughs> very active he runs and plays rugby with his friends and stuff and I was just like a lump watching, (laughs) hearing about all these stories. But um, last... That's my family dynamic too. (laughs) (laughs) I would say uh, the end of last year, I really started getting into it. Obviously at Betches, we we do a lot of group classes with the office. So even since I started working there last year, I would try and go to those because like, okay, there's, there's no excuse not to. I'm already here. I'm already in the office. Everyone else is going. Let me go to. So I would go and I would enjoy it. I was like, okay, I can keep this up. I, I didn't hate that experience. Why is it so hard for me to do it on my own? And eventually something clicked. And now I've been way, way more regular. I try, I try and work out at least like four or five days a week, even if it's just for 15 minutes. And I'm only half doing something. If I'm doing, if I, move my body in a in a productive way other than just like getting up and going to my desk <laughs> then I think of it as as a good day walking so. back and forth from the refrigerator is a work <laughs> that's how I think about it. you what's get your fa- steps yeah what's your favorite thing to do what make, For, what actually do you enjoy in terms of working out um I like Zumba's and more dancey workouts are definitely my favorite because I love to dance. I love to go, you know, not now, obviously, but I was a regular at the club, just dancing with my friends. <laughs> not even for, What workouts like, do you do? <laughs> the club. Um, I go to the club. <laughs> yeah, I like, those are my favorite. I do 
yoga on days when I really don't want to do anything, but I feel like I should move somehow. That's not really, to me, it's not really strenuous. So it's, I don't feel the same as if I did a, a hit workout or something, but I'm moving in a, in a creative way. I like to think of it. So I do that on my lazier days. Um, I try and do, I, I honestly look at just a lot of stuff online, like 10 minutes, at, 10 minute abs and we'll just follow a, a video or something. That's smart. So, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. It sounds so easy. No, but it, like, that's what you're saying. It's like you, you have all of this, like there is the videos, but just don't do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just going to the, you know, kind of the central part of what we wanted to talk about, which is generally the, the whiteness of the wellness industry. Um, and this happens in so many places, whether it's like the classes, the branding of the classes, the instructors, the, the, the whole cost, vibe, the access, the, right. The access, the time that people have, like the, and then there's the whole food element, the food and health element, which is like a whole systemic problem that is I, so much to tackle. But we want to talk about your experience in the, as someone who's observing and participating in the industry, um, how do you feel being sort of being faced with this industry that is like not particularly welcoming or inclusive? I think, yeah, it's definitely something, as you said, that I've experienced and that I've just observed over the years, especially as I become more just socially conscious in general as I've gotten older especially these last few years things that I've noticed um even when I was in school I know I mentioned my friend was a spin instructor she's black and she was the only black instructor period not even just spin out of our whole um sort of network that we had of student teachers for various workout classes she was the only one and I feel like that in itself even on it, it, you have to, you know, go out and apply and try out to be one of the instructors. But even so, if you are a black student and you saw even the lineup of all of them, there's only one. It makes you wonder, okay, why is there something, you know, with the management that's causing black people not to apply, or is it just they don't want to, or they don't feel like they can because it's so, you know, predominantly white. I mean, ninety-nine percent of them are white. So that in itself, even in college and otherwise, I know it's, it's, it's almost a, um, not a chore, but a challenge that you have to, I feel like, at least for me, that sometimes I have to actively seek out an instructor who is black, or even just if I want to take it on a bigger scale and work out at a studio or a you know, specific regimen that is black owned or made by a black person, that it's, it's, it's more tedious to, to search for that than just even when I was saying that I, I could just search 10 minute abs mm-hmm. more often than not. It's, it's like a lot of white people of yeah, white <laughs> women and white and white men on, on the search results. So just the representation in general, I know at least lately on ads and stuff, even near our our office there was a new studio that was being built um near the best buy and there was <laughs> <laughs> just to give you 
perspective. Thank you. <laughs> I know was, what you're talking about. Yeah. Now. yeah. <laughs> there is a black woman who was on the, you know how they fill in the windows with an image before it opens. And there's a black woman on it. And I, that was something that stood out to me. And that the new Peloton. I don't think so. I don't know what Love. it was called. Oh. No, no, it was no. something else. But there was a black woman on the ad. Yeah. And I know that stood out to me. That made me like, oh, I'll look into this studio, see what they're about. And it was just in that one subtle thing. But it stood out to me because that's not something I always see. Right. And that's just proof that representation really matters. Well, it's funny that what you just said is literally like, if you think in the past, like, you know, five or 10 years, there's like a lot of lip service about like the business case for diversity. Yeah. And, right. and people think like, oh, it's just because, you know, oh, like we have to do this for our business. But like you just like kind of prove their, their point. Um, right. But it's like, but the thing is that it shouldn't be about the business case for diversity. It should be about the human case for diversity because it's clearly not about fitness. It's clearly about an industry culture. And something that was manufactured. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think just in general, prioritizing, you know, health and wellness and fitness is a privilege in itself, which I was yes. actually talking to my friend that I was going to be on the podcast and talking about all this. And we had a really good discussion how black people generally, and this isn't to say that other people don't, but generally black, the black community has so many other things that we're worried about. Never mind just getting through the day successfully and in more frequent cases alive, but just worrying about job security or education for yourself or your children right. and home security, things like that. And on top of a lot of different diseases that are more prominent in the black community. And so you're, you're thinking about all those things all day. It's hard to be, you know, oh, let me get a workout in too on top of all that. It's really hard to for a lot of people to motivate yourself after you've been drained from thinking about all those things all day. So then fitness is sort of put, I keep saying on the back burner, but <laughs> fitness keeps getting put on the back burner. And that's an attitude that even unconsciously, unintention, unintentionally, can be passed on to your children. If you have a young child who sees you, you know, not that working out, just using that as an example, or eating well isn't necessarily a part of your regular routine, they might not know the importance of it. So that's something in itself that being able to, you know, prioritize fitness is a privilege. Well, not even to like mention that health outcomes in communities of color are significantly worse than health outcomes in white communities. So I'm sure that, 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 you know, inability, that overwhelm that prevents people from working out and doing things that would help their bodies, that you, people who are, who have privilege are able to just sort of like, Oh, I'll just like block off an hour of my schedule where I'm not worrying about anything else and do a workout. Um, that is definitely something that contributes to health outcomes. So it's really, you know, there's, there's a lot of things as, that are part of this cycle. Definitely. And the same thing goes with mental health as well. Akila Hughes tweeted that mental health services should be free for all black people. And that makes like so much sense because America has 
straight up traumatized all black Trauma. people. Like, yeah. yeah, like there's like, it's not like for there, centuries one person who's like, who's like, you know, it's been bad for everyone else. But like, for me, not so bad. Like that, that doesn't <laughs> exist. Um, so, I mean, I thought that was like a really, a really good point. And I don't know. I, I felt like that was something that like, personally, I could feel like I would try to get behind. Like if there were a, a law or something or a petition, maybe we could I start it. <laughs> honestly i don't and this is just thinking of my immediate circle or you know family friends i don't i think maybe one person has ever seen a therapist and it was because she like a, a parent had died so it wasn't even just you know general day-to-day -day health i know a lot of people have therapists just to check in make sure that you know their lives in general are going smoothly, but I can't think of a single other person of my black friends and family who, you know, are, are getting mental health in that way. Is there stigma against against mental health services at all? I don't I don't know for sure whether or not there's a stigma about therapy because uh, to be honest, I'm not that, you know, in tune with it myself. I've never sought it out despite you know, things that I might have gone through or that my friends have gone through and let me experience with them. I've just been always really reliant on myself to pull myself out of any funk, regardless of the scale of it, of, you know, whatever it is that put me in that place or relying on other people who get it or who can empathize in a really helpful and genuine way to get me through it. But again, I I can only think of one of my friends who out of my black friends or family who has seen a therapist and gotten mental health in a professional way. So I'm not I'm not 100% positive that there's a stigma or not possibly. I'm sure for a, at least a group of people in the black community there are but I can't speak to everyone. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always find the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And they're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N U U L Y.com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. 
you were speaking about how um, finding representation in terms of instructors or studios is a challenge. But what about your experience when you actually attend classes? Uh, yeah, I've, um, I've, I've not had, thankfully, a, a bad experience in the sense of something that was traumatizing that I can, you know, recite verbatim what happened or someone said something negative to me. But there's definitely more often than not that I am the only black person or the only person of color in general at a fitness class, regardless of what type, boxing, spinning, whatever it might be. Um, and that's in addition to, as you said, the instructor. I don't, I think, honestly, I think I've had one instructor that was a person of color and they weren't black out of all. And I've taken, I've taken my share of classes um, in this just, and that's just from being in New York over the past year. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely something that I'm conscious of. And I know that since I haven't had a negative experience there, not that there's no reason, but there's nothing that's really pushing me to be so self-conscious about it but it's not something that I can turn off I can't just not notice that I'm the only black person in a room that's that that's just something that is sort of ingrained in you so that you can you know in a in a more serious situation that you can watch your back right it's always in the back of your mind yeah do you think that that part of the reason that you kind of that despite the fact that you know you you very well might be the only person of color in a class or that the instructor will likely be white, do you think that you, having your experience of growing up around white communities has made you feel just more comfortable in that reality, even though it's obviously not, you know, the ideal? Yes and no. I think comfort in the sense of it's not necessarily jarring for me anymore as it may, and it wasn't back then because I was a child, so I wasn't, you know, so aware of all this or, you know, keeping tabs or anything, but yes, in this, yes, it's, it's more quote unquote normal for me from growing up in those situations. So I'm not as thrown when I'm put into them now, but they're still thought, I mean, flooding thoughts in my head even if I'm especially if I'm the only black person somewhere about what people might be saying to their friends about me if they're with a friend in the group what they're saying what they're thinking oh I need to I need to be on I need to prove that you know I'm just as able-bodied just as you know capable as anyone else in here doing this stuff I can't, you know, I need to like show up and show off in these classes. Have you ever noticed any type of like microaggressions? Not in the classes per se, because I really, you know, I don't really loiter before and after. I like go, get in, (laughs) work out, get out. (laughs) But just in, in general, I think the, the most common one I get is sort of circling back to what Sammy was talking about. Athletes is that people are like, oh, you must be an athlete. You're an athlete, right? And this is something where at first I took it at face value of, okay, I, you know, I, as I said, I'm like tall, 
fairly athletic but, looking. Yeah. Okay. Even then it didn't really sit well with me, but even in a situation, I remember I was in one with one of my white friends who, you know, has the same build look about mm-hmm. her, but she's white. And someone was trying to get me to buy donuts at a seven eleven. <laughs> How hard are they to, trying? <laughs> just so hard trying to up to up their sale, trying to get me to buy this pack of donuts. And I was, you know, no thanks. I would have picked them up if I wanted them. I'm good. Thank you though. I'm like, no, no, take it, take it. You run track. You run track, right? Huh? What do you mean? No. I hate running. First of all, in my head, I'm like, um, I hate running. No. Why are you asking me that? Why do you think that about me? Right. Yeah. And my, mind you, they're not trying to sell my friend donuts. They're not trying to ask her what sports she's involved in. And like, yeah. no, you're, you're an athlete. You're an athlete. I, I mean, look at you. You must What be. a sales tactic. Who is this donut salesman? <laughs> I, <laughs> on my college campus. I won't out them. Oh, okay. But, <laughs> okay. But I see you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that was definitely something that sort of raised my awareness in general about microaggressions and just to speak about it on a more broad scale if anyone doesn't know what it is you can google the exact definition but it's basically (laughs) when whether intentionally or not you're saying little snide comments or you know saying something to a black woman black man person of color that is uh, again maybe unintentionally but it is demeaning in a sense so for example that one you must be an athlete because of how I look and because of the fact that I'm black because if it wasn't in that case especially if it wasn't because that I was black you would have been saying it to my white friend that was with me too another one right. that, it just been like are you both athletes right exactly because you're together so it's like absolutely yeah exactly um and I'll just speak to you a couple more. There's tons and tons of these. Again, you can go go into it at your own volition if you would like to, but just ones that I've gotten throughout my life are that one about being an athlete. I know Kay talked about this one yesterday on At Betches when white it's particularly white girls go out tanning and some of them, you know, have very you know, their, their skin loves the sun. So they get very tan and then they try and compare their tan to mine or to a black person. Like, Oh, look, I'm blacker than you are. Do you want to take everything else that comes with being black? (laughs) I didn't think so. So don't do that. Don't do that. Don't anything about the hair. Is that your hair? Can I touch it? Can I like, I am. And this happened to me when I was younger too. I used to always wear it in two braids because that kept it under control. My hair is naturally very curly and my mom would, you know, braid it, send me on my way. And I remember people kept asking me to take it out, take it out. We want to see it. We want to play with it, take it out. And I was so young. I didn't, I didn't know at the time. So I was like, okay, yeah. And I took it out and it was, first of all, the most painful thing for my mom to brush out afterwards because it got so naughty. But now, if someone were to ask me that, I'm like, absolutely not. No. I, if, I, if I wanted you to be asking me about my hair, touching it, whatever, I would l- I'll let you know. 
I will let you know if I want you to be all up in my business like that. And there's also in the same term, which makes me laugh about the hair thing, is that people so commonly ask black women about that. But I could name so many more white women, especially in the, you know, spotlight in the influencer world who are out there wearing wigs, extensions, Mm -hmm. what have you. Like no one is asking you to touch your hair if your hair is real. So that's another one. And then I'll just, I'll just do three. (laughs) Give give us another. I'll do four. The other one is, and I talked about this yesterday on App Betches, is when people comment on how well-spoken I am or again, to black people, oh, you're so well-spoken, or oh, you talk like a white girl. Well, hold on. What do, what is a black girl supposed to sound like? Can you explain that? And I, I always, always throw that one back in people's face. Like, oh, well, what am I supposed to sound like? And it's immediately- What do they like, say? Um, no, uh, you, I didn't, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? No, I don't. Explain. That's why I asked yeah. you to explain. Yeah. So that really, that one immediately sort of chokes people up, which it should, because that's not, wh- why? Again, why? Why do you need to, if you're going to comment on someone's speech, which I always found way more beneficial, we got, no, I mentioned I was a tour guide. We got comment cards about how you did on your tour sort of reviews. And people would say, um, Dana was not, you know, I was great, but Dana was <laughs> great. She made sure to talk about everything, you know, thoroughly and made sure that everyone understood what was being said. That was, if you wanted to shorten it, she was very well spoken, but they made a point to point out what about what I was saying and how I was saying it was helpful. And pointing out if, again, if some, if you could say that was, that was so informative, what you said, mm-hmm. all that. Great. You don't have to comment on how I said it. If it's, something right. I, if it's something I like how you didn't use a lot of filler words. Great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Find a different way to say it that's not attacking the, in the end, the root of who they are. The fact that you didn't expect a Black person to be able to speak like that is where the problem comes in. And then the last one is oh you're so beautiful for a black girl okay well please remove yourself from my vision because <laughs> Has, I'm was that pissed. did that happen when you're younger <laughs> when Much i was younger? younger when i was abroad when i a couple months ago i mean in the club in the club <laughs> my sanctuary it happened there <laughs> <laughs> So, and that one, it's just, you don't, you wouldn't say, oh, you're such a beautiful white girl. You wouldn't. No. You just wouldn't. So. Well, it's interesting don't. that the, the, those, those last two that you said are sort of sides of the same. They're, they're two, they're the same thing, just about different appearance based things. Right. They're both implying that that person at heart feels that you mm-hmm. should be less well-spoken or less beautiful than you are for a racial reason, but they're not, that's not what they're saying in their comment, but it is what they're saying in their meaning. Right. And the, the, I just wanted to go back to like the thing about the hair. 
there's a lot in this movement about um, the idea of like how black bodies are inherently less respected than white bodies. And I think that like that is the hair, the fact that people think that they can just like have access to your hair is like the everyday version of the fact that like cops think that they can just like put their hands on black people for doing nothing like that's just sort of like the socialized version of it like ooh, let me like touch your hair like maybe if people didn't think they could touch your hair maybe cops wouldn't think they can put their hands on people in inappropriate ways so right it's yeah there it's just all so problematic and it's it's all it and especially with just the microaggression thing, if you just took a second, an extra second before you want to give this so-called compliment to me, just just really think. Even even just focusing on the last one, the, oh, you're so pretty, d- done, period. You're so pretty. Thank you. You don't have to comment that. <laughs> I know. I'm also, but I know, thank you. So you agree. <laughs> so you agree. You think you're really pretty. <laughs> Before we get into listener questions or DMs, what is your hopes? What do you hope we come out of this with? Like, what is what is the world you want? I just I, I saw a tweet yesterday that, which I think is just the root of all of it. It said, in all caps, it said, "Why is ending racism so controversial?" <laughs> LMAO. <laughs> like, why is there so much disagreement? And truly, why we're we're and I, I, oh my goodness, I could just go for, I oh, could no. honestly keep you here for hours, but that is truly it. We are just asking the black community just to be respected, treated like people, number one, treated like people with value. And that's where the whole all lives matter thing comes in. And it really is like, no one is saying they don't. No one <laughs> is saying only black people matter, which obviously is not true first of all but it, it and i've seen so many people explain this and i just don't get why some people still can't wrap their head around it yes they do but that's not what we're talking about those are all people aren't the people who are being murdered aren't the people who are being blatantly discriminated against and you know having so many disjointed negative experiences compared to white people whether it be jobs or education or healthcare or you know just going on a run at any day act, everyday activities and the root of it is we're just asking to be treated like equals to be treated like we matter to just for people not to be racist and this is something that is going to true unfortunately take just as long to fully weed out as it took for racism to be built up Mm-hmm. Because there are still people who are still so against the idea of treating everyone like people who are so against Black people in their hearts, and their souls, that they're going to teach their kids that. And their kids may or may not be able to be, not even convinced, to be, have their eyes open to the fact that that's not how you should be living. So that's my hope. I probably won't be alive to see it through, which sucks. but. I hope that someday it's just it's just people because that it, it, it just it just takes so much more energy to hate. Like, why are you 
sacrificing your energy. That's kind you of the part I, I don't get it either. Like how right. much it takes to hate something or someone, someone you don't know. Like, and then just, justify your hate with like intellectual gymnastics, which is like the whole <laughs> all lives matter thing. It's like, I well, feel like, like if the systemic racism, it's like, I feel you like know, the people who are saying all, say. all lives matter are like in a different conversation. <laughs> they're like <Yeah>. adjacent. <laughs> they're like, they're not in it. They don't, they're not listening. They're just like there, you know, they're like, just keep talking to themselves. They're running <laughs> on the side of black yeah, lives matter. They're just, like, exactly. They're like, we oh. see you, but we're going to stay on this side. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, they're like so defensive. It's like a defense. It's like, that's the first thing that they say. Well, no, you're, you're coming at my whiteness. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I see it like a playpen of babies being like, but what about me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like, you've yes. been fine. No, have you noticed? <laughs> like you're good. <laughs> you're good. <laughs> so on Die Starts Tomorrow Instagram, we car as in Carly, um asked you guys if you've ever experienced any type of microaggressions or any type of um just different get, get different um people treating you differently in wellness in fitness in the space so we wanted to share some listener stories just little anecdotes just to make this a bigger conversation um okay do you want me to read this first one yes okay here's here's one from taylor I remember working at the front desk at a bar studio when I first got into fitness. A black woman came in and bought a membership and took a class and I could feel her discomfort. The looks the other people in the studio gave her as if to say, I'm surprised you're here or do you belong in this space? And she left quickly at the end of the class and I monitored her account to see if she ever came back and she didn't. She didn't even ask for a refund. She felt so uncomfortable and just left. So, wow. fitness. I think that also comes into play with the cost of classes and how a lot of these, you know, uppity, bar, spin, whatever classes, a lot of them are quite expensive. And so I feel like in addition to just the fact that there was this black presence in their previously all white space, that some of those looks might have been coming from a, well, how can she afford this? How can she afford to be here? Because a lot of, despite the fact that there are back black millionaire, billionaires, successful black people, famous and otherwise, that a lot of times people just, uh, and this, again, it's not all people, but some people associate black people with only having so-called low-end jobs or only working, you know, in the service industry or something like that. So it's, it's like, oh. A, a moment of shock that this black woman could afford to be at, at this studio class with us. Right. Do you think there's also an interaction with like body type as well? As what do you mean? In like, do you think that it's like these these classes are also not just a not just a bastion of white privilege, but they're a bastion of thin privilege. So, do you think that the that the mixture of of skin color and maybe not the typical body type. I'm not saying that this woman like is is like thin or or anything or not or anything. I'm just saying like that is also like a factor. If this woman is here for her first time, do you think that there's any sort of like discomfort in that way as well? 
I think maybe if, I don't know if it's discomfort so much as judgment. Again, we don't know what this woman looked like. So she very well could have fit the bill per se of what all these other women in the studio looked like. But if she came in and, you know, had a different body type or, you know, maybe was bigger or smaller than the other women who were there, they might've also been looking in a sense of judgment of, Oh, is she going to be able to do this? Like, is she, is she going to be able to keep up with us or handle the class? In addition to, like you said, the, the skin color mixed into there too. I just wonder like why anyone cares if, if like she can keep up or not. Like it's, it's not your business. I mean, you're not, you don't worry about yourself. Can you keep up? That's all that matters. Right. Right. Okay. We have another, um, story from Catherine and this is more, I think about the diet industry. Um, up to 80% of registered dietitians, myself included are white. And unfortunately the governing body of dietitians the governing body dietitians work under the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics has not made a statement, at least at this time, in support of the current increase in activism and specifically in light of the murder of George Floyd. So it's not enough to say that there isn't enough diversity in the space, which there isn't because the field is embedded with systemic racism. There isn't even support from the top to help us get there. For these reasons, we need to intentionally seek out black dietitians, fitness gals, et cetera, to follow and learn from because unfortunately, this isn't yet happening at the organizational level. Just a little insight from an unsettled, albeit white dietitian and DST here. Thanks for tackling this topic. Yeah, I mean, no news there, sadly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't even. Honestly, there is news. I didn't know about the governing body and that, but. Yeah, I was just going to say, I didn't know that stat and I didn't even honestly I didn't even think of dietitians nutritionists in this in this conversation that we've been having but that's such a good point that she brought up let's read one more and then we can go to a um dear dst which did I make that up did we ever call our segment dear no. DST? <laughs> okay you literally made um, it up 10 minutes ago guys branding <laughs> I'm okay sorry um okay Yes, thank you, DST fam. As a multiracial black woman of color who frequents boutique fitness studios, Pure Bar, Orange Theory, Soul Cycle, I've definitely experienced microaggressions when it comes to working out in these spaces. I don't always feel welcome in the front row of the class with my fellow white attendees. I feel like I need to prove myself in these spaces. That's what you were saying, Zena. One recent moment that particularly stung was an OTF coach who came to me to cheer me on doing bicep curls well-intentioned in her compliment. I do have Michelle Obama sculpted arms, winky face. She said, quote unquote, you're a beast woman. It's, it is challenging as a black woman to hear that I am a quote unquote beast since historically we've been compared to apes, loud and aggressive, etc. She meant well, but it seriously stung. Bad, bad choice of words. I get that. And I can already, and this is something that is so annoying in my head lately that whenever I read people sharing their experiences, I automatically think of all the backlash that people are going to give. Like, oh, well, why are you, she was just trying to compliment you. Why are you being so sensitive about it? She wasn't calling you a beast. She was saying the way that, you know, you were going so hard with the bicep curls was, you know, like beast mode or something. But I get that. The point that she made is true that historically black people have been compared to beasts and monkeys and caricatures have been made emphasizing like 
trying to make harsh features of like the size of our lips or our noses or whatever it might be. So that just goes back again to what we were saying about microaggressions that even if your intention isn't to offend, just t- it, it takes five extra seconds for you to just pause and think before you speak. And I know there might be some people rolling their eyes and well, why should I have to be so monitor, you know, monitor what I say so closely? Why can't they just know what I mean by it? This, it, it you're the one it, saying it, it's not that much to ask for right. you to think about to just to think, not saying that just in general, black or otherwise, some people are hypersensitive, not to say that that was the case with this girl or trying to, you know, call out how anyone receives things that are said to them, but it's not a big ask for you to think, which is something you should be doing regardless of if you're about to say a microaggression or not. But just as you can, you know, expect us to have a thicker skin, we can expect you to take a second to think before you speak. Right. And then, and the back, the, you were saying the backlash that the people who are have saying the things are going to get or are going to have about this. Why, who cares about, like, you know, if like we're talking about a person's hurt feelings, regardless of what it is, if you know that somebody feels hurt based on something that you said, no need to be defensive. Realize you're the one who did something. You know what I mean? Like, yes, it's up up to you to make up for that, to apologize, to think about your actions despite your intentions, you know? But Well, I think that's probably why representation is so important because like maybe this instructor didn't even understand the connotations of using that word in that context. So, but I think that the more exposure you have and the more stories you hear, it makes it easier to think about what you're saying and who you're saying it to and what other, what, how it might be received. And if you live in only a world where you only ever meet white people or work with white people, then you're never going to have any clue what those touch points are. Right. And this is something too, that I think even for myself is a constant learning experience because this girl who wrote in might not have even realized that was something that would bother her. That comment was something that would bother her until she was in the moment. And then you, you sort of feel a, like a tightening in your chest, which is something that's happened to me too. Some, uh, a comment, whether just straight out rude or microaggression or otherwise that I might not have even thought about before it was made to me. But as soon as I hear it, it's like, Oh, ouch that that hurt why oh and that's something that I'm like, okay I realize I acknowledge that feeling I can you know tell that person how it made me feel and then hopefully going forward they can adapt accordingly so it, it's it's a constant learning experience my question is let's say like I or or Aileen or anyone you know were to say a microaggression or or perform microaggression and you you know we come to it after and we're like oh maybe I shouldn't have like said that or maybe that was like not the way you know not the right maybe that had a bad connotation to it that I didn't think about how would you want someone to address that to you in the aftermath of it um I think 
this is again something else it's case by case depending on the person because some people again everyone's different in how they they like to be apologized to or not but i know some people don't even think about don't even like care about microaggression some black people don't even really it doesn't even really affect them at all mm-hmm. but some like me i'm aware of them i don't love them i try and call them out when i can but and then some people might be you know extremely challenging every single time every single person so it really is varies for me i would i would um I don't know if if you if you come to terms with it or you realize that you did it like you said and then you wanted to whether in person or text or whatever you wanted to say look I I just realized earlier I said this that wasn't my intention I'm sorry great it doesn't need to be at least for me it doesn't need to be a whole production of an of an apology but I that's something that I would definitely take note if you know, you alien or otherwise, can, you know, realize that of yourself and said it and made a point to want to bring my attention to the fact that you were conscious of what happened and you are owning up to it. That, to me, that, that speaks volumes, that you're aware of what you're doing and you're, you're actively trying to be better. So. I'll take yeah. that to heart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that helps we have a long life listening. ahead of us, hopefully. And to think that, like, because we all, like, went through this week, we're going to suddenly, like, never make a bad comment or fully understand, the, you know, the implications of hot, literal centuries of this. Like, we will make mistakes, you know, and I think that really the only thing we can do is commit to to trying to be better and to admitting, you know, we're wrong and and learning and like actually making the effort. So it's Um, a lifelong process. For sure. Um, Okay. Now we're going to do dear DST. Um, Okay. I'll read it. Hi, I already know I'm going to love this episode. I don't have a story, but I do have a question if you're able to address it. How do I speak up? I see posts and motivation all the time about calling out racism in your family, friends, group, in public, etc. I want to, and I know I should, but it makes everything really weird. I don't like confrontation, and I want people to like me. And every time I try to say something, people roll their eyes or talk shit about me like I'm some social justice warrior. Literally, I've lost friends even when doing this in the politest of ways. I want to be the change, but those people saying shit probably aren't going to care what I have to say or change their minds anyways. So why make it awkward? And when is it acceptable? It's fine with my family, but with but if my boyfriend's uncle says something, I feel like it's not really my place to speak up at him about it. Any thoughts, advice from the Betches? In general, this is something that I just not even necessarily with racism with any sort of confrontation. I was crippled paralyzed by it for the the majority of my life i was the same as she was saying in the beginning i just want people to like me i don't want to cause any trouble with anyone unnecessarily i'm just sort of you know gonna keep my thoughts to myself and i know how i feel about it but i don't want to you know shake anything up if i say something and then i had a, a huge falling out with a friend in high school about a boy it was really dumb but that was the first time that I 
accepted the fact that I'm much better off without people who don't want to be my friend for calling them out on their bullshit. Because, I, can I swear? Yeah. Yes. What? Oh my God, <laughs> what? <laughs> for, but Please swear. <laughs> that was a big turning point because she, she or the person who wrote in mentioned that they've lost friends even doing it in a polite way. If you went about calling out something as important as racism or as important as even just trying to initiate a a conversation about what's going on and people shut it down or they talk about you behind your back or they don't want to be your friend anymore, why do you want to still be their friend? Why, why, Why is it important to you to uphold those relationships with people who are based off of what you said, who are inherently against what you believe is right and what, in, in regard to racism, what everyone should believe in right is right. That racism is a problem and it's something that needs to be talked about. It's something that needs to be called out. I think, I don't necessarily think you need to, you know, make a whole scene if, you, if you're in a group, per se, if you're in a whole group of your friends and someone says something racist or something that doesn't sit right with you, you don't have to, you know, start a whole issue in front of the whole group. But if it's something that bothers you that you want to speak out about, you should pull them aside or you should say, hey, can we, can we have a conversation about X, Y, Z and bring it up? If they're really your friend, even if they don't agree with what you have to say, if they're your friend, they should be open and receptive to what you're trying to say and the the thing about your boyfriend's uncle I that's something I if you don't feel comfortable I know that can be kind of awkward because it's not your direct family you don't want to cause any issues with your boyfriend especially if you're you know hoping for a long-lasting thing with him and you don't want to cause any tension you don't want their family to not like you but that's something that you can bring up to your boyfriend say hey your uncle said this and agreed yeah I really didn't like it how to uh, can you bring it up to him or uh, do you think it's okay if I mention something if not would you because I really don't want to leave this untouched I think that's yeah. great advice for especially with the boyfriend thing um, but even on the even in the friend thing, it's like and if that friend doesn't accept or doesn't leave that com- if that you leave that conversation still feeling uncomfortable because you feel like that friend still doesn't accept you. Why are you trying to be accepted by them? You right. know, I think it's so much harder when you're younger for sure. Um, so I don't know how old this person is, but. The other piece of this is like a social acceptability piece, which is like part of the reason that that Jim Crow is able to last and why the civil rights movement took a long time is because people, a lot of times social movements happen because like people who are bigoted or prejudiced are essentially shamed into not being that way or into like kind of just swallowing those views. Um, for the sake of progress. Um, and I think that that is why speaking up, even though it's super hard is actually, and like you might lose a friend or a paycheck or whatever it is. Um, 
the reason that you need to do it or we need, I don't want to say you, I want to say we, I need to do it is because that's how you make progress. You basically kind of have to like, you know, change what's socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. It also gets, speaking from personal experience, it gets so much easier to call people out after you've done it two, three times because, (laughs) and that, (laughs) at least for me, that was my experience because at that point you're, you simultaneously as you're calling out the things that bother you or that you think are wrong, you become more, and again, this is just my experience, you become more comfortable and confident with who you are as a person and what you believe in. And so you feel more comfortable and confident calling out people. And, th- and this is not just, oh, you don't like the same music as me, not calling out people and things like that, but on serious issues that are affecting people on a global scale if people are inherently having these bad views in the sense of they're holding racist views they're doing racist things and that's not you that's not something you agree with it becomes so much easier to call people out on that after you get into the the habit of doing it right because you've also clarified for yourself who you are and then you start to hold yourself to your own standards of like, like you're living like within your values yeah but that first one, when you first come out as a social justice warrior, the first time you do a call out, that is the hardest. But once you're past that, you will be free, <laughs> hopefully. Well, thank you so much, Dana, for joining and sharing your stories and being vulnerable and talking about this topic with us um, and the audience. Yeah. yeah, thank you for having me. It was great. Hopefully... I honestly, I black out when I do these and I just sort of (laughs) word vomit. So hopefully at least some things I said were helpful or insightful, but this is great. Thank you for having me. You are great. And we miss seeing you in person. Our our dogs miss seeing you in person too. (laughs) I miss them and miss you. (laughs) We'll be back soon. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back soon. All right. Well, if if anybody wanted to follow you or message you, how can they reach out? Uh, you can follow me at D Michelle D M I C H E L E, and then three more E's. So one L, four <laughs> E's at the end. D Michelle E E E, and then three more after, <laughs> and then. Um, follow one's happy hour. That's great. We have fun career. If you have, you know, thoughts about work, you want some laughs, follow that. You can also message me on there. That's fine. Easier to spell. (laughs) Well, thanks so much. And if anybody obviously reach out to Dana, um, and email us dst at betches.com if you have any further questions or stories because this conversation is just beginning and me and sam we want to keep getting uncomfortable and having these conversations and bringing this to the forefront especially when it comes to the wellness industry which we can see is quite you know white <laughs> I, I just want to say something for us um, you know how we talked about how like, you know, we kind of want to like reform the wellness industry in the sense of not make it as bullshitty as it is yeah. and be more inclusive. I that feel is like, our goal. yeah, I feel like the t- like this time fits with it so much more than ever. And 
I don't think there was enough out there calling out the whitewashing within the wellness industry. And I'm really just hoping that this can be, you know, the direction we're moving in or moving away from. I hope so too. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. And we're always with you through thick and thin. <laughs> Diet Starts Tomorrow is hosted by Aileen Cooperman and Sammy Fishbine. Our editor is Sean Kilby. Our podcast producers are Mike Coscarelli, Sean Kilby, and Carly Rice. And artwork is by Brittany Levine. Be sure to follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram and email your questions and non-scale wins to DST at Betches.com. Batches.